The red light of death. Paul, these batteries don't like you, brother. In Paul's defense, he has swapped out both batteries recently. So, this is not batteries dying due to lack of any kind of AV mispractice. Class in this in seminary, how to change out <laughs> microphones. Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. And if you're if you're not familiar with our evening prayers, what we've been doing every third Sunday, and we've just moved it over to the fourth because of our Thanksgiving services, having a shorter sermon that ends the service with a benediction, and then we have a time of prayer where we actually go off live stream so that we can be frank and open before the Lord with our needs and our joys. And we will be focusing more on people sharing this year what the Lord has done for them in Thanksgiving. But it is also a time that we can bring our prayers and requests, especially we think of kingdom-centered prayers, that God would be changing us in our own lives and changing the world outside of us as well for the glory of Jesus. So let us let's begin with prayer. Father, now we focus and come to your word. Father, we want to be people who love your word, who tremble at it, people who are changed and even reminded by uh, simple things, but which are the lifeblood of our salvation. We thank you for the cross work of our Lord, who allows us to hear with renewed hearts and open ears. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, we of all people should be thankful people. Think about who, who we are. We have a God who has loved us from all eternity. We have the Lord Jesus made flesh who died for us. We have the Spirit who lives inside of us as a down payment. And that's just the beginning of who we are and have in Christ. We should be a thankful people. And I want you to be ready to give thanks tonight and publicly give thanks to God. But I also think, as we are human people still battling with our flesh, for honest, there are a lot of things that fight against our thankfulness. And it can be very easy for us to become more, more wrapped up in what we don't have and in our grumblings and to focus on that than the incredible riches of what we have. I remember, I was thinking about this, this is almost 20 years ago that I was in college, um, back at Penn State, and I was in w- one of their palatial cafes, cafeteria. I mean, just everything you could ever want, including creamery ice cream, right? It was just anything your heart desired. You were sitting in the lap of luxury. At least that's what I thought when I came in there and punched my ticket and, and got my food. And I remember sitting in a booth, and behind me were these two girls, my age, college students, and they were going on about how this friend gave them this sweater that just wasn't them and didn't fit. I mean, the, the ingratitude in this place of abundance was just ironic. It was something that came to me out of a sitcom. I was, I was really put off and slightly sickened by the lack of their thanksgiving and by their grumbling. But, you know, it's not just spoiled college, college kids. It's a universal problem that we can all fall into. And if we're not careful, our griping and our grumbling can steal our joy and our thanksgiving attitude. Not just 
for thanksgiving with a capital T, but really our, our whole disposition in life. And so the, the point of this sermon, then, is just to let Scripture work in our hearts to root out complaints and draw us back to the giver of good gifts. And so we'll look first at a passage in the Old Testament and then briefly at a passage in the New Testament. And the, the very simple idea is that griping steals thanksgiving, but gratitude gives you grace. That's the flow of the gospel. And so first we see in Exodus chapter 20, God's command for his people not to covet. Looking at verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And the reason I want us to be faced with the 10th commandment as we think about Thanksgiving is because it really is covetousness or envy that is the root of our grumbling that blocks out our, our Thanksgiving. So what's coveting? Kids, what does it mean to covet? What is it? It, it simply means that you want something, usually someone else's, too much. Hey, you know, have you been over to their house and you're playing with their toys or their game system or you see the, the trip or the thing that they get to do or the parents that they have or whatever, and all of a sudden that you realize you're not, you're not so satisfied with what you have. You're, you're jealous of what they have. That's, that's coveting, right? And, of course, it's not just kids that do that. Adults can do that, too. And the Tenth Commandment is the most uh, exhaustive list. It, it has more details than the other ones. And, and it, today it might say, you know, you should not covet somebody's house, his car, the fact that her husband is funny, the fact that his father is still alive, all these, all these detailed things that you shouldn't be jealous about. But then it's also an internal thing. It's, it's really an internal attitude of the heart, which is where really starting to show that the law is not just about outward performance, but God cares about the attitude. And so you begin to covet and it begins to blind you to everything you have. And soon you can only see the things that you don't have. Right. And, you know, it's ironic, but you see this. Right in Exodus, right before this, right? One of the most spectacular displays of God's power, bringing the Israelites out of Egypt with a mighty hand, through the Red Sea, pillars of fire, plagues, all these things. And, and then they come out to the desert and they say, you know, uh, we'd, we'd really like just to go back to Egypt. You brought us out here to die. What are you doing? You crazy, Moses? And instead of praising God for his incredible deliverance, when they come to a time of true difficulty and trial, that trial becomes bigger than their God. And they turn to grumbling and griping. I would rather be back in Egypt. Isn't it incredible? People who have experienced the glory of God's salvation can still grumble about things here on earth. Hasn't changed, has it? And so, so we need to be aware of that. That, that coveting really can lead to, to grumbling, which scripture says leads to death. It leads to the death of your thanksgiving, right? It blots out your ability to see, um, what God has given you. And the scary part is that this can become a habit. And in fact, I felt the spirit pointing that out in my own life. In the last couple of years, I've been um, very aware that I do not get angry like Jesus gets angry. I, I don't get angry all that much. And when I do, it's used almost always for the wrong things. And so a lot of that's my personality. And so I decided, you know, I'm going to start voicing my displeasure more because I want to be more like Jesus is. Well, you can probably figure out 
how dangerous of a thing that can be, right? And, and there have been times, let's just use driving as an example. There have been times where there has been righteous indignation. Circle, 40 and 77. The truck would not stop. I mean, we had, you know, they, they were just barreling through or they cut out. And, and I lay on the horn because I have my son in the back and I'm upset. You put my son's life in danger. That's, you know, that's, that's righteous indignation if it's expressed well and then you just leave it to the Lord. But there's also this vocabulary that I have just started to see rising up in me. It's, it's, it's one, one word. It's, it's an expression of our culture, which isn't all completely bad, but it can go bad places really fast. Have you heard this word before? Really? Really? You know, some, someone, we just pull up into the parking lot at the, at the aquarium, no cars around us, and someone pulls in the SUV, or the SUV pulls the spot right next to us. I said, really? You know, there was all, you had to choose that spot, and then I realized, wait a second, that's just grumbling, right? And you know, I had trouble coughing last night, I was trying to, really? Wait, what are you, who are you complaining against? You're complaining against God, right? And, and there can be this, this grumbling spirit that's, that and, and really ties into this entitlement mentality where I deserve everything and I want it and I won't be happy unless I get it. Where that's definitely different than, than righteous indignation. And that I deserve it all attitude will kill your Thanksgiving this week and, and, and beyond. And you know, unchecked, it leads to an even deeper problem. If, you take this idea that I deserve all of this and mix in anger and dissatisfaction. You have a toxic brew that was really the same temptation that Adam and Eve fell for in the garden. That I deserve to be God. I deserve to get what I want and be at the center of the universe. And when you refuse to be satisfied and you're not thankful, you start acting like how Paul describes unbelievers in Romans 1.24 who refused to give thanks to God. Now, I, I, I think I, I know you all, most of you, then, and I know that you're not living a godless life. I know you're following the Lord. But I do want you to see how dangerous grumbling is. If your desire for one thing keeps you from thanking God, it puts you in a dangerous place. Um, I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis, who is, we, we don't agree with even everything that he says in this quote, but he has an insight. He's talking about hell. He says, hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, but you are still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself and wish you could stop it. But there may come a day when you can no longer. Then there will be no one left to criticize the mood or even enjoy it, but just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine. It is not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. Uh, now, as I said, there's some of the things that Lewis says does not go far enough. Um, we do stand before God's righteous judgment in that way. We would say that God sends us to hell. But he has an insight that dissatisfaction can drive you from God, and ultimately, if unchecked, a dissatisfied heart shows that you do not believe in God. You can just, Hebrews 3 gives you this warning. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So let us just take seriously grumbling and griping, which can steal our thanksgiving. Instead, let's turn to James chapter 1. And James, the brother of Jesus, 
gives us, as the children of God, a, a much better way to look at the things that are happening and rooting out the gripes in our own hearts. James says, look to your father's gifts. In fact, he says, the way that you respond to God's providence shows how deep the gospel goes in your life. Let's look at James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So James here shows you a way to change the conversation. When you are falling into that line of thinking that says, I'm not getting what I deserve, James says, if you think that way, you're being deceived. You're being deceived. Instead, focus on your father's gifts. And he says there's three things that you can focus on that will develop you into a person who is full of thankfulness. First of all, focus on the quality of the gifts. He says in verse 17, these are good and perfect gifts. And you know that wherever you are, wherever, whatever situation you are in right now, God, your Father, knows exactly what is good for you. Right? He said, Paul Tripp talks about form-fitted grace. A unique grace and circumstance for each person where you are at. What is good for someone else is not necessarily good for you or for me. But God delights in giving you good gifts. And one of the, the most freeing things, one of the exercises that I, I love to do from time to time, especially when I'm feeling discouraged or depressed, especially alone, maybe away traveling from my family, is to take inventory of how God has blessed me across the spectrum in Christ through this life, through my family. It's, in, it's incredibly freeing. And one of the ways that we can develop this skill as God's people is simply once a day, maybe at dinner time with your family or if you're by yourself, just name one thing that you want to give thanks to God for that day. And it starts to develop that attitude and mindset of, of focusing on the giver and, and giving you eyes to see throughout the day how God has given you exactly what you need even in the hard things. So focus on the gifts. Second, focus on the character of the giver. These are similar, but, but James also says, your father is a father of lights. He is pure and unchanging. His motives are right. It, it can be tempting to question God's motivation sometimes, right? After all, this is coming in a section of trials. People, Christians, who are going through difficult times right now, and you can easily ask those, those why questions. God, why me? Why have you put me here? Why haven't you given me what you've given someone else? Why don't you let me have that? And we don't know that, but you can trust in the character of God. And as you focus on what he's given you, then, then again you can take stock of the seasons of life and each callings. And, and you can look at the joys in the midst of the pains. One of my regrets in life. I would say it's a regret. Looking back at my almost 40 years, almost, almost maybe reaching the halfway point, the Lord providentially gives me a long life. Uh, one of the regrets is that during times of disappointment and mild depression, I have kind of gone underground, gone, kind of hid, kind of shriveled up in myself and just waited for time to pass. 
And I think one, one obvious season of life was my, my last deployment, which was now almost 10 years ago, and where there were some good things in the deployment. It didn't completely just check out, but I know there were times where I hid, whether it was, it was in good things, whether it was Skyping with Elizabeth for two or three hours a day because we were at a comms place and so we could, or uh, just studying my Bible, which is, of course, a good thing, but but doing that instead of going out and, and, and spending time with other people. And I, I know the next time I'm deployed, I will, I'll actually challenge my soldiers. You know, use this time well. And for the Christians, use this time to serve the Lord. And it's so it can be so easy to just get focused on a difficult period of life. Wherever you are, whether, whether it's singleness, whether it's married, um, whether you're maybe pregnant with twins, um, you know, the blessings and the difficulties that come. I remember, you know, we've been praying for our children for 10 years and then we have a toddler and I'm tempted to grumble about it, right? And like, well, what a second, Lord, this is what you've gifted me. This is what we've been praying for. But whatever the situation is, you can know that God's character is good and rejoice in who he is. Even when you're tempted to question his motivation. Finally, focus on your salvation. James says, in addition to every perfect gift, Christian, remember that you are part of a reality that is far more glorious and lasting than the situation in which you are right now. Verse 18, of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I believe he's talking about regeneration there, new life that we have in Christ. And so... This doesn't mean that you shouldn't care about physical needs. In fact, James says the exact opposite a couple of verses later. If you say, you know, God bless you when you're hungry, that's not the love of Christ. But what he does say is remember here on earth that whether it is as beautiful and good what you're experiencing or it is hard and sad, this is not the final story. Remember that Jesus said, I am going to my Father's house to prepare a place for you. This is temporary and it is passing away. And what this means is that as Christians, it is possible to let go of very precious things if God says no, or if God takes them away. I remember reading a biography of Jonathan Edwards, really from the, the point of view of his wife, Sarah Edwards. It's, it's called A Marriage to a Difficult Man. It's, it's a worth a, a, a read. But it, it ends with Jonathan Edwards' death away from his family. He had just gone to Princeton. He had moved away from his family. He was going to meet a new president of the college, and his wife had not yet come. And Jonathan was uh, very uh, progressive in a lot of ways socially, which means that he was for the, the vaccination smallpox. And so he, he took it to encourage his students, and uh, he died as compl- from complications of that smallpox inoculation. And Sarah Edwards, who was a very godly woman, received this news And this is what she wrote to one of her daughters as a response. My very dear child, what shall I say? A holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud. Oh, that we may kiss the rod and lay our hands on our mouths. The Lord has done it. He has made me adore his goodness that we had him so long. But my God lives and he has my heart. Oh, what a legacy my husband and your father has left us. We are all given to God, and therefore I am. I, there I am and love to be your ever-affectionate mother, Sarah Edwards. What she does not say is, really, God? Married for 30 years, loved her husband dearly, 
in some ways cut down in the prime of his life, both as a, as a husband and a theologian. You can see the grief, but the incredible thanksgiving, because she knows that this is temporary and passing, and there is a life to come. And her relationship with her heavenly Father allowed her, let her to hus- allowed her to let her husband go with thankfulness. Well, God's word tells you that your father loves you and he's given you good gifts. And when you focus on those good gifts, the goodness of his character and your eternal destiny, that enables you to be thankful Christians. Let's pray. Father, tonight we will go home to a warm house with plenty of food and this Thursday, many of us will, will celebrate our, our national holiday of Thanksgiving with, with good food and friends and family. Father, we're so grateful for the physical blessings that you've given us. May we praise you for them. And may under all of that be the incredible gratitude of the cross of Christ, which allows us to live in this world without self-consciousness or, or selfishness but true gratitude and delight. May we be thankful people this week, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we will, in response, sing 715.